Thank you for listening to the Calvary Monterey podcast. Please visit calvary.com to learn more about our church. And visit nateholdridge.com for additional Bible teaching from our lead pastor, Nate Holdridge. Teaching today is our assistant pastor, Matt Kaler. Hey, Calvary Monterey family. Uh, I'm Pastor Matt, one of the pastors here, and we're so grateful that you've taken the time to join us today for God's Word. And uh, Pastor Nate is out, but he'll be back next week. We're looking forward to that. So um, I'm excited to be able to teach uh, a portion of Scripture from Luke chapter 10, uh, starting in verse 38, reading through verse 42. Let's read that, and I'll pray, and then uh, get into the Word this morning. Now, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for this passage, Lord. And I thank you for God the lessons that are here. I thank you for what this reveals to us about who you are and your heart for us, God, and, and who we are, Lord, and who you've called us to be. And so, Lord, I pray that you would speak through this time in your word, that you would show us, Lord, your great plans for us and Lord, your, uh, your great heart. We love you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, throughout the 13 uh, years of uh, my marriage, my wife Bree and I have learned many lessons along the way. And I remember uh, years ago while on a date learning one of those lessons. We had gone to a restaurant and it was one of those restaurants where um, they've got good food and they've got TVs where you could watch sports while you eat. And uh, we were enjoying our time, you know, sitting across from each other, discussing our day or week and connecting together. The problem was in my line of sight on the TV that I was across from was a baseball game on. Now, I'm a huge baseball fan. I've always been one as as far back as I can remember. So you could probably guess what happened next. So throughout the dinner, as I should have been focusing on my wife and our time together, my focus kept turning towards the game. And I really tried fighting it. I kept thinking, no temptation has overtaken me except which is common to man. Now, I, I wasn't thinking that necessarily, but it did get to the point where my distraction was pretty obvious. And at that point, my wife said something along the lines of, Honey, you're not paying attention to what I'm saying. To which I responded, no, I'm listening. Which then she did something so cruel. She said, then what did I just say? And she had me there. So it was at that point that we both learned a very valuable marriage lesson. When we go out to eat, I need to be positioned in such a way that I am not facing a television. So... I'm not saying that everyone needs to do this, but, uh, but for me, it's been really good to keep me from being distracted. Now, I bring that up to, to say, you know, you may not be distracted by a sports game on a TV, but I believe we are living in the most distracted time in human history. Now, this doesn't come as any new revelation, I'm sure. Our schedules, we fill up our schedules. We, we try to master the art of multitasking. There's technology that's streaming around us constantly. We've got the 24-hour news cycle. Our phones are constantly pinging and pulling and tugging for our attention. These are all things that 
hold our attention and distract us away from the things that are truly important. There's also the activities and opportunities that we can be a part of that are oftentimes really good things, but may cause us to neglect the one thing that is truly important as followers of Christ. This busyness, this distraction, this hurry is all around us, and it can be overwhelming. And this passage before us today, I believe, speaks to our tendency to be distracted from what is most important. As we get caught up in the things of life, the busyness of life, and the full schedules. Now, I don't think this story is an isolated story or something that only person, uh, certain personality types struggle with. I believe it's the temptation that many of us face to be drawn away and have our focus placed on things to the detriment of the most important things in our lives. The story of Mary and Martha is a very familiar story to all of us. It's about two sisters that seem to be very different, and Jesus is invited into their home. One of the sisters finds herself sitting at Jesus' feet, receiving from him, and choosing the good portion, which Jesus said will not be taken from her. And one of the other sisters finds herself busy, distracted, working, preparing all the things that need to get done. And it's in this account that Jesus shows us what he says here, the one thing that is necessary. This one thing the Lord wants to make a priority in our lives. And it's that one thing that I would like to explore today as we seek to shift our attention away from lesser things, from things that we're distracted by to find what is truly necessary. And so three things I want us to look at as we find out this, this necessary thing that each of us are called to as followers of Jesus. I want to see the problem we face, the price we often pay, and the priority that we need. Let's talk about the problem we face. So in verse 38 and 39, we're introduced to our characters. We see it says, Now as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. And so we learn about Jesus. We learn about Mary and Martha in this encounter. And, and in fact, in an earlier account, we discover that Martha and Mary, with their brother Lazarus, are close friends of Jesus who lived in Bethany. And as Jesus was traveling through Bethany with his disciples, it was Martha that welcomed Jesus into her home. Like any good host, Martha's busy preparing for her featured guest. Uh, it, it kind of appears throughout the reading that Martha may have been a, more of a type A personality. She sees the things that need to be done, but not just the things that need to be done. She sees the right way for them to be done. So she sees that if it's not getting done correctly, there's a problem. And I, I can even almost picture Martha, you know, with her list. What do I cook for Jesus? What, what kind of plates do I use? What, you know, are those napkins going to work? You know, is this going to be okay? And, and up, up to, you know, Jesus's standards, you know, could see her preparing in the kitchen, maybe iPad up, Pinterest on, looking at all the different things and just wanting it to be dialed in and wanting it to be the best that it could be. And Jesus is going to address this dynamic in Martha's life. But, but notice that Jesus doesn't say to Martha, Martha, there's a problem with your personality. You're just always trying to do the very best or you're a type A. And it, it, it's not her per, uh, attention to detail that Jesus is going to speak to. 
He doesn't shoot down her decor or what she's doing. Her problem isn't that she wants to make the best meal she can, because what we can tell from Jesus, he enjoyed food (laughs) and he really liked meeting together for a good meal. So what's Martha's problem? We read in verse 38 that she has become distracted with much serving. Now, this seems like a unique problem at first glance. It's almost like that. Yeah, you know, I do have flaws. Sometimes I spend too much time volunteering kind of problem, right? It's like, really? Is this really a problem? Too much serving? Too much uh, preparation? And, And that is how the New American Standard puts this verse. It says, but Martha was distracted with all her preparations. You see, the problem isn't so much the list. The problem is Martha is being driven by the list, by the tattoos, the busyness and distraction has pulled her away from the more important thing. Notice that she's not distracted by a bad thing. In fact, preparing, hosting, cooking, these were necessary preparations. But the preparations were taking her away from something that was more important. And this is often what busyness, hurry, and an overcrowded schedule can do in our lives. In his book, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, John Mark Comer quotes teacher and author John Ortberg when he says this, For many of us, the great danger is not that we'll renounce our faith. It's that we will become so distracted and rushed and preoccupied that we will settle for a mediocre version of it. We'll just skim our lives instead of actually living them. You see, the problem we face is not that we are stressed out or prone to blow up at our families because of our over-busyness. It's that our spiritual life, our communion and connection with Jesus will suffer neglect. As followers of Jesus, we're called to take our cues from our master, our teacher, our rabbi. To be a disciple means that we are learning under someone else. And for us as Christians, it's learning under the great teacher and master Jesus. Many have pointed out as you read through the Gospels, there's something you don't see Jesus doing, and that's rushing. In fact, it seems more the case that his slowness and lack of hurry frustrated people that were around him. You think of the story of Jairus and his request of Jesus to heal his daughter in Mark chapter 5. It says there in Mark 5 that Jairus asked Jesus urgently to come and heal his daughter. There was a sense of of urgency there with Jairus' request. We know what happens in the story as Jesus is on his way to visit Jairus' daughter. Uh, Jesus encounters a woman with an issue of blood. And on the way to heal Jairus' daughter, he performs this miracle in her life. And she is healed. And it's this incredible scene. And, 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 and he gets interrupted on his way. But he, he takes that interruption. He invites that. He welcomes that. And it's at that point that a messenger comes to Jesus and tells him it's too late. You didn't get there in time. She's passed. We know the story. Jesus says it's not too late. He goes to the house. He sees her as they're weeping, as they're crying, as they're mourning. He says, she's not dead. She's asleep. They think he's crazy, but she call, he calls out to her. And then she wakes up. She's alive. And Jesus heals her. It's this beautiful scene And it shows us a little bit about the pace and the the intentionality of Jesus. Throughout his ministry, we don't see a a stressful, flustered, or overwhelmed Jesus. It's interesting that the most whole and healthy human being that has ever walked the earth, he didn't rush. Now, in our culture, we wear busyness as a badge, don't we? Oftentimes, when asked how we're doing, what's one of our first responses? Oh, I'm busy. Just been super busy. 
been tired, been worn out, been maxed out. And oftentimes we, you know, we think, oh, well, great. That means you're being productive. You're being diligent. You're doing the things that you need to do. But for some of us, you know, busyness and a full schedule, it may just be a way to avoid addressing some deeper issues of our heart, like fear or loneliness or feelings of unimportance. Busyness can become a way for us to avoid having to sit and examine some of the deeper issues in our lives. For others of us, our busyness is a result of our desire for productivity, finding every way possible to maximize and be the most productive that we can so we aren't wasting any moments throughout the day. It's the kind of attitude that says, if you aren't out there getting it done, someone else is. Again, just as in the case of Martha, it doesn't mean that these things are always bad. It doesn't mean that these are things that we shouldn't be doing. It's probably not the case that most of us are just wasting our time streaming every Netflix show and spending hours and hours on social media when our kids are shouting that they're hungry. It's when we allow a good thing to crowd out the most important thing. That's when distraction and busyness becomes a problem. But what's the result of busyness and distraction? What effect does it have on our spiritual lives? And what does this passage show us? Well, that's what we want to look at next. Let's look at number two, the price we pay. We looked at the problem we face. Let's look at the price we pay. What happens when we get distracted from what is most important? What effect does that have on our spiritual lives? Well, notice in verse 41, Jesus addresses Martha's over busyness, her focus on these things and her distraction away from what is most important. He says in verse 41, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. Anxious and troubled about many things. You see, when we are distracted, when we are busy, when we allow these things to crowd out the most important thing, worry and anxiety creep in. Anxious and troubled. That word anxious really means to be pulled in different directions. And I wonder for some of us today, if you feel that, you feel pulled in various directions. You feel so spread out and so thin. There's no more margin. Every minute of every day is just maxed out and dialed in that you are exhausted. You feel like there are so many things that are causing you to be anxious and worried. It's, it's family, it's work, it's maybe relationships. Maybe it's D, all of the above. Seems stress and anxiety are just kind of a part of the normal American way of life, right? But is this the way of Jesus? Is this what Jesus has called his followers to? Are we just kind of, uh, you know, subject to our culture and our, our day and, and the modern age and everything that's going around us? Or is there something else at the heart of our worry and anxiety that, that we could offer to the Lord and give to him? One of the clues to what Martha is feeling, I believe, is found in verse 40. Look at that again as Jesus um, addresses or as it shares, but Martha was distracted with much serving and she went up to him, this is Jesus, and she said to him, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. What does Martha say and what does she command Jesus to do? It's an interesting thing, right? (laughs) Telling Jesus what to do. She's saying, she's not helping. Tell her to help me. Now, it seems like from the reading of this passage, we learned that most likely Martha was the older sister, that this was her home, and thus she was ultimately responsible for the hospitality that their guests would receive. Mary was not helping, 
and doing all that Martha expected her to do or wanted her to do. And I, I, I kind of imagine Martha even trying to give her subtle hints as, Mar- as Mary is there sitting at Jesus's feet, listening to his teaching, receiving from her rabbi. I imagine Martha just making some noise in the kitchen. You know, I don't know if you've ever done this trick, you know, maybe banging some pots together or, you know, all straining a little bit as she's, you know, lifting the things or maybe just making it known that this is a lot of work and this is kind of hard, you know. I've known uh, of someone who would uh, make a lot of noise when having to do the dishes and clean up the kitchen just so everyone knew what they were doing. Um, I won't name their names, but I'm very close to that person. And, you know, the thing is, those things, they weren't working if she was doing those. They weren't getting her attention. Mary was so focused. And this is a beautiful thing about Mary. We see through the Gospels Almost every scene that we find Mary, she's sitting at the feet of Jesus. She's, her posture is one of longing and looking and worshiping her Savior. This is just such a beautiful posture. And it's not that Martha should not have been doing what she was doing because there was work that needed to be done. There was service that needed to be done. I don't think it was so much an issue with her hands, but her heart. What was going on inside What was driving the actions? What was driving the work? What was driving the service? And I think we get a hint of it here. Martha is irritated that Mary is not being as productive as her. She's just sitting there. I can't believe it. Doesn't she see what I'm doing? And in her frustration and irritation, she looks to control the situation. She says, Jesus, tell her to help. And I think this is often what is at the heart of our worry and anxiety. It's the desire to control. We want to control the uncontrollable, don't we? And this is at the, at the, the heart of anxiety and where if only I can get my, my retirement right, I can control the future. If only I could get my diet and medicine right, I wouldn't get sick. If only I could figure out the right childbearing technique, I can guarantee how my kids turn out. As one Christian author puts it, worry assumes the possibility of control over the uncontrollable. The illusion of control lurks inside your anxiety. You'll see it in yourself. Anxiety and control are two sides of one coin. We want to control something. Since we can't control it, we worry about it. What is Jesus' answer for this kind of thing, for worry and anxiety over things we can't control? Well, he tells us in Matthew, in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 6, 34, he says, Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. You know, someone has said worry is like rocking on a rocking chair. It gives you something to do. You just don't go anywhere. Jesus isn't blinded to the realities of this world. He even recognizes that there is trouble that we're going to face. Your trouble may not be health related. It may, it may be relational. It may be financial. And it may do, uh, be due to something you've done or, or, or you haven't done, something that's totally out of your control. And all of it, Jesus says this very simply, don't worry about tomorrow. You see, friends, I want you to understand within the Christian life, we have resources to not worry. Why shouldn't we worry about tomorrow? Well, who's the only one that can say that sentence, don't worry about tomorrow and have it be a sufficient answer to our anxiety? It's it's one thing for me to say, don't worry. Hey, don't worry about it. Well, Pastor Matt, you don't know my situation. Yeah, but don't worry about it. You might, that may feel like cold comfort or, you know, like a little, um, you know, uh, washcloth when what you really need is a warm towel, you know, kind of a thing. 
But what happens when Jesus, the creator of the world, God, your savior, he says, don't worry about tomorrow. You see, he's the only one who is sufficient enough to answer that anxiety, to answer that worry. We're going to talk about that a little bit later. But friends, part of sitting at the feet of Jesus is being willing to cast those worries and those cares upon him, knowing that he truly does care for us. What price do we pay for being distracted away from what is most important? We invite worry and anxiety into our lives, which presents even more problems. We seek to control, which will frustrate us more because the reality is we don't have ultimate control. And have we seen this? I mean, the last 16 months as, as things have been uh, totally radically shifted and changed as a result of COVID. And we're still needing to learn this though, even 16 months in, that we don't ultimately have control. But we can find peace and resting in the one who does. We can submit those things to him. But what's another way that we suffer from neglecting what is most, suffer when we neglect what is most important? Well, it takes our eyes off of Jesus and who he is. And this is what was happening with Martha. As Mary is before Jesus and she's looking into his face, she's receiving from him. Martha, her eyes are distracted by other things by things that, that, that are not as necessary or as important. Look at what happens to Martha. She comes to Jesus again in verse 38. Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? You see, here Martha is questioning the care of Jesus towards her. And in this sense, when we take our eyes off of him, we take our eyes off of who he is and his character and his heart towards us. She doubts the heart of Jesus. Now we can look at this and we can say, well, Martha, this is the man that raised your brother from the dead. This is the one that's going to be crucified on a cross for you. This is the one that loves you. And, and you're asking him if he really cares. But let's not be too hard on Martha here. Because how often do we in our busyness and our distraction do the very same thing? Lord, do you even care what I'm doing? Lord, look at all the things. Look, look at, do you even notice what's going on here? Look at all the things I'm doing. Look how hard I'm working. Look at what I'm producing. So, so why isn't this happening yet? Why haven't I gotten this? Why haven't we landed this? Why hasn't this door been opened? You see, we take our eyes off of Jesus and who he is. It's easier to doubt his care for us. Not only do we doubt his care, but we end up telling him what's best for us instead of asking him what is best and resting in his perfect will. See, Martha, she's demanding, Jesus, tell her, to help me. This is what needs to happen. Whenever we find ourselves telling the Lord what to do, we need to take a step back. We've gotten distracted. There's something else that's pulled our focus and our attention away from Jesus. We think of Peter when he was walking on water and then the storm started raging. He took his eyes off of Jesus and that's when he started to sink. So what are we to do if we find ourselves in this kind of place? The problem that we face of distraction, busyness, being pulled away from what is truly important, what Jesus said is the one thing that is necessary. The results of that distraction, that busyness being worry and anxiety that come in because we can't control the uncontrollable. And our eyes get turned away from the one who can control, the one our, who our trust should be in, the one who we should be submitting to his will, not telling him what he should do for us. What is the remedy? What's the priority? 
that we need. Let's look at that as we close. The first thing you need to recognize is that if you've wandered and if you've become distracted with things of less importance or you're overhurried with busy life to the point of burnout, worry, and frustration, you need to see this. Look at verse 41. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha. I might as well just write in my Bible, Matt, Matt, because I can almost hear his tone here. To repeat Martha's name is to get her to hear his voice. It's as if she's walking away and Jesus says, Martha, Martha. And in that time, commentators say repeated names are a term of affection and endearment. He is beckoning her back. And he's beckoning each of us. He wants us to know that he sees our work. He sees our schedule. He sees what we're doing. But he's making available to you and to me an invitation to something better than all that we are aspiring to do and be. It's an invitation to find our rest in him, to sit with him, to learn from him, to follow after him. Now I say that and I wonder for some of you, if you go, well, Now you're just adding more things to my to-do list. Now you're giving me more assignments. But that's not the way we should look at it. Also, this doesn't mean that we get our calendars and we have like a calendar smashing party. I mean, maybe some of you need to do that, but this isn't an invitation to just detach from work and to detach from responsibilities and to take a week off from parenting and chores and all of that kind of thing. I'm not saying that. But I think Jesus puts it so beautifully. What this means to sit at his feet. I believe the one thing necessary that he is inviting each of us, that he had Mary taking part in and that he was inviting Martha to be a part of is found in Matthew eleven twenty eight through 30. His classic invitation. Here's what he says. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. What is Jesus' answer to the busyness, to the hurry, to the overwhelmed, to the frustrated, to the burnt out? He wants to give you his yoke, which is easy, his burden, which is light. According to, to New Testament scholars, the ancient Jews commonly used the idea of yoke to express someone's obligation to God. This was kind of the totality of a rabbi's teaching. There was the yoke of the kingdom, the yoke of the law, the yoke of the command, the yoke of repentance, the yoke of faith, and the general yoke of God that that often teachers would press into and their followers would adopt as their own. And Jesus comes and he says, this is the summation of, of my yoke. This is what I want you to adopt as your way of life. I want you to adopt my yoke, which is easy, my burden, which is light. Here's how another commentator describes this invitation from Jesus. Jesus realizes that the most restful gift he can give the tired is a new way to carry life, a fresh way to bear responsibilities. Realism sees that life is a succession of burdens. We cannot get away from them. Thus, instead of offering escape, Jesus offers equipment. Jesus means that obedience to his teachings, his yoke, will develop in us a balance and a way of carrying life that will give more rest than the way 
we have been living. I think this is incredible because there's no amount of busyness, distraction, pursuit, work, relationships, substance that will provide the rescue or escape to the weight of all that this life brings besides the easy yoke and burden of Jesus. You see, after the fall, what has happened is there has been a fracture in the created order. Work is hard. Life is burdensome. Things are difficult. But in the midst of that brokenness, Jesus comes into our picture. He comes into our story and he says, you don't have to continue in the ways of the world to try to satisfy and try to meet the longings and the frustrations and the burdens that you're carrying because I've got something better and greater for you. He offers a life and a lifestyle connected to him. And this means adopting his life, his rest, his peace into ours. It means sitting at his feet, connecting our life, our dreams, our worries, and our work to him. I think it's recalibrating our definition of success around his definition of success. It means replacing the heavy weight and expectations of the world and all its demands and definitions of success with the easy yoke of Jesus. You see, what this isn't, This isn't living a life of laziness, neglect to what God is calling us to do. It's actually living into our calling as fully alive human beings. Because notice something about Jesus' yoke. He calls it my yoke, my burden, because Jesus offers us something no other system, no other group, no other person can offer. He offers us communion and partnership in the journey of life. He says, I will be with you. It's easy because I'm there. You're connected to me. We know that yoke was an apparatus that would join two beasts of burden together in order for the work to be accomplished more efficiently. Jesus is saying, yoke yourself to me. My teachings are not burdensome. My call, my my identity that I give you is freeing. It's restful. In Jesus, we get security. We get identity, we get purpose, we get intimacy. You see, in Jesus, we get to live from rest rather than for rest. In Jesus, we get to live from purpose rather than for purpose. In Jesus, we get to live from security, not for security. Scotty Smith, a Christian author and and teacher, he says, Only one thing is really necessary today. Again, speaking to that one thing necessary that Jesus shared with Martha. Staying alive to Jesus and his love for us. Drinking in his grace. Adoring him in our hearts. Expecting to see his faithfulness. Relying on his power. And serving as conduits of his compassion. So I ask you today, friends, are you drinking in his grace? Are you distracted by other things or are you distracted by Jesus? Because I think that's where we need to get. I think the distraction is happening all around us nonstop. And I think it's time for us to once again be caught up, be distracted by Jesus. I think Mary is is a person in the scriptures that models this so well. As I said, if you want to look later, you can see in John chapter 11 and John chapter 13, the scene where Jesus, or excuse me, where Mary, Mary is there before Jesus' feet. 
in the same posture of worship before him. You see, before God calls us to be workers, he calls us to be worshipers. Before God calls us to do for him, he calls us to be with him. And friends, I would hope that our daily lives, our schedules, our calendars, I would hope that they would be an outflow of that time with him, where we will find the peace, where we will find the joy, where we will find the energy in the midst of sometimes exhausting lives. (laughs) Parents with young kids, can I get an amen? But Jesus offers this to us. George Whitfield in referring to this dynamic of what Mary was doing sitting at the feet of Jesus, he refers to it as the care of the soul. Now, we could spend a lot of time talking about, well, what does that look like? And, and what can I do? So again, we need to fight the temptation to just add something onto the list. I, I, think, it's, I think it's more than that. Not less than that, though. Because I think... When it comes to his teaching and sitting under Jesus, we need to continue to saturate ourselves in who he is and his scriptures and his word. And so time spent with him, taking in, but also communicating and praying to him. This is something that we need to make an effort to do every single day. One of the things that has been so impactful for me and my family, I want to share. But before I do, I just want to say, you know, One of the things that um, I think, as I said, you know, that COVID has done is it it gave us all an opportunity, maybe not all of us, but a lot of us an opportunity to just kind of slow down and to be a little more present. You know, things were shut down, extracurricular things, a lot of stuff, especially early on, things are opening up more. And I think it gave us an opportunity to really see. And I remember, you know, talking to many of you families and parents and even individuals that that you said, man, it's given me a lot more time with my family or with my roommates. We've been able to um, be a little more present and connected. Well, I also know that it's provided some major disconnection for some people, and that's been tough too. But as things continue to kind of pick back up, I guess my concern is that we would just kind of go back to the way things were. We would just start to add on uh, the li- to the list, that we would start to fill up the calendar once again. And we wouldn't maybe take a second to pause and to go, wait, are these truly the things that God has for us? Are these truly the things that are going to um, provide for us the, the opportunity to continue to grow in Christ's likeness, to be learning and sitting in, at the feet of Jesus. And so for some of you, I just I want to encourage you, maybe just give you the permission to just say, you don't have to. You don't have to just go back. And, and maybe it's uh, implementing new rhythms that, that will continue to recalibrate you around the person of Jesus and his people and his work. And so maybe for some of you, it's, It's actually joining a life group this quarter that's going to be launching in a month or two. Stepping into Christian community and making that priority where there are many other things that we can do, but maybe it's saying, hey, this is what we're going to press into for this season. Maybe it is saying no to even good opportunities so you can say yes to a better opportunity. Ultimately, though, it's keeping that first thing, the one thing necessary as the 
the primary thing. And so the thing that my family and I have been able to do since COVID is um, we, we instituted a weekly Sabbath day of rest. And, um, you know, this isn't anything new. It's kind of a, an ancient practice for believers and Christians, but it's something that has been so life-giving for our family. And I just wanted to share it with you and not as a burden that you have to take on, but it's been a real blessing to us and so um, if it was helpful to any of you, um, praise the Lord. But we have um, set aside a day out of the week, either a Friday or a Saturday, where we disconnect from work, from devices, from the to-do list, from chores. And we just try to be as present as we can. Usually starts with making some breakfast together as a family in the morning. And we open up um, our children's Bible. We, we, we do a Bible lesson and sing some worship songs. And oftentimes we'll play a game together. We'll go on a hike. We'll play outside, throw a ball around. And my wife will usually make a killer dinner at night. And it's just an opportunity, I think, for me, um, who tends to try to find my identity in what I'm doing and feeling you know, purpose and in, in, in being busy and being really connected, it's, a, it's an opportunity for me to recognize my limits and to say, man, I'm just human. <laughs> and Jesus modeled this in certain portions of scripture where Jesus would go away on his own, apart from the crowd, even apart from his disciples, to be on his own, to refresh, to kind of replenish himself with the Father. How much more do we need to do these kinds of things? And so we've introduced this into our lives as a rhythm. Our kids love it. We're, we're just kind of, um, we're big fans of it. And, you know, again, what it's done is it's allowed us to see that sometimes the, the ping of the phone, the nudge of the phone, the devices that are crowding out those things, it causes us to recognize, hey, we need to be connected to the people in front of us. We need to remember who's God, who God has made us in his image. We're, we're merely human. We can't do it all. And to recognize our limits is a really, really good thing. And I think this is just one of the ways that we as a family have just tried to intentionally be at the feet of Jesus. You know, and, and it's about having fun and it's about enjoying what God has made. And I just think more and more as followers of Christ, we are going to need those countercultural practices to really mark our lives as disciples of Jesus. Because to get caught up in the flow, to get caught up in the busyness, to get caught up in all that this world is doing and saying that we need to be and produce, it's exhausting. And we're going to find ourselves in that place of worry, anxiety too often, trying to control the uncontrollable, trying to be Lord over our lives instead of simply giving it to him, casting those cares on him, knowing that he cares for us, knowing that he says, take my yoke on you, take my burden, which is light. And so, friends, I encourage you, make this priority. Make spending time, make being before Jesus the one thing that is truly necessary to let all those other things that maybe are important but not as important be colored by that time with him. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much. Thank you for the invitation to follow you. Lord, to, to learn under you, to sit with you, to obey and to live out the lives that you've called us to live with your strength, with your power, and with your rest. Lord, let us work to be those people that don't find our value and significance in our work, but Lord, our worshipers, even before we're workers. And then Lord, let us serve with confidence, let us serve with boldness, with a renewed sense of calling, 
with a renewed joy and with a renewed peace for your glory. We love you and thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. If you would like more teachings and information about Calvary Monterey, please visit calvary.com. You can also find books, teachings through the Bible, and articles from our lead pastor at nateholdridge.com. Thanks again for tuning in. See you next week.